Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We have a guest with us and she doesn't know it, but we could totally be besties <laughs> because she loves and is an expert in intermittent fasting. She's written several books, including Delay, Don't Deny, Feast Without Fear, and the New York Times bestseller called Fast, Feast, Repeat. She eats high quality food. She's not into counting and tracking and doing math problems while she eats. Anybody that knows me uh, is like, oh yeah, y'all could be besties. Um, she likes a, a glass of clean quality wine here and there. She loves the same kind of makeup and skincare that I do. And she used ish in her most recent book title called Cleanish. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you've heard me describe my approach as ish. And I like the way Jen describes it in the book. She says, being cleanish is about developing a focus on real foods and healthier home environment without becoming overly dogmatic or fixated on unattainable uh, level of perfection. So it's really about making small doable changes that have a positive impact on health while still living an enjoyable lifestyle. See why I love her? I think you're going to love her too. I'm just so honored um, to get to talk to Jen in person today because I've also listened to her on her podcasts and she just has the cutest southern accent which you're about to hear. Welcome Jen Stevens to the Christian Health Club podcast. Well thank you so much for having me and yes we absolutely could be besties. I, I know <laughs> it already. <laughs> we could kick back with a glass of vino and talk about go. all the things. Yep. So let's get started because I think this is interesting. You were an elementary teacher for 28 years. And how do you go from that career to becoming a New York Times bestseller and expert on fasting and living a cleaner lifestyle? You know, yeah, that really is a great question because it's like, what? You were a teacher? And yes, I was. I was a teacher for 28 years and I retired as a elementary teacher in 2018, but I did not retire as a teacher of the world because I feel like what I'm doing right now is still teaching. I just am not teaching elementary kids in the classroom. Instead, I'm teaching grown-ups about how to live a life where you feel your best, where you can get off the diet roller coaster where you can learn about what your body loves, what your body doesn't love, how to live your best life, and be your health, healthiest, most vibrant self as you age, which I really think is what all of us want to do. It's just a matter of, of figuring how to do it. And so that's what I am. I'm a teacher. I empower people to take charge of their life and live in a way that is enjoyable. So, you know, how did I get interested in all of this? Well, I was obese. You know, there was a time... Um, you know, if I go all the way back, I was always kind of interested in dieting. 
from the time I was young, watching my mother. She was a dance teacher. She was constantly dieting, yo-yoing up and down. And I just thought, well, that's what women do. We, we look in the mirror while we're wearing our tights and we criticize our bulgy parts. And then we try to tame our bodies into doing what we want them to do. And so is it any surprise that when I you know, became an adult, that's what I did? You know, does that relate to you at all? Do you- oh, absolutely. I was just thinking, uh, yes, I think all of us can absolutely resonate with that for sure. So I, you know, started my very first diet was after my freshman year of college and I gained the freshman 15. So I came back home and counting calories because that's the tool I saw my mother use so many times. So I borrowed her little calorie counter book and um, I followed it and lost some weight that summer. So that was my go-to for a while until the low-fat diets came out in the early 90s after I graduated from college. Then I followed those. Basically, I could go over just years and years of following all of the diets, the fad diets, they got crazier and crazier over time because I became more desperate to try to figure out what would work for me. And, you know, I I yo-yoed my way up to 210 pounds. And I think that's what um, many of us can relate to as well because the harder we try, it feels like our body starts fighting back, which is exactly what does happen. So if, if you think that it gets harder to lose weight after you've dieted and lost weight and then regained it, it's true. It really does get harder. And so, you know, skipping over all those, those decades until I was um, 210 pounds in 2014, basically I just got tired of that yo-yo. And I really actually prayed about it. And I said, you know, I want to find the answer so that I can stop this craziness. And, you know, I had a doctorate in gifted education. I was successful in my life. I was a hard worker. I could follow directions. Why couldn't I lose the weight? And basically, I was following the wrong directions. (laughs) And intermittent fasting is what allowed me to lose 80 pounds and get to my, my goal range, which I've been maintaining within since 2015. So, you know, I have not been overweight since 2015. And it just feels amazing. This is the first time in my life I've ever maintained. Um, And so intermittent fasting allowed me to do that. So that's what got me started with fasting. And I started Facebook support groups, and those grew. And as a teacher, you know, I wanted to send people to good advice when they would join my group. They'd be like, well, what should I read? I'm like, well, here's a book, but don't don't listen to what they say about this and this and ignore the part about diet sodas. You don't want to drink diet sodas and here's why. Or, well, here's a book, but they don't really tell you what to do. So, you know, ask me if you have any questions. So that inspired me to write my first book in true teacher style. And in 2016, I wrote Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. And I kept it simple because I really wanted people to just know, here's what you do, here's how you do it, now go do it. Um, over the next few years, my communities grew. We ended up before I, I ended up leaving Facebook, but before I left, we had almost half a million members combined. Wow. I know in my groups, it, it was really hard to manage. But um, I will say, being an elementary teacher is the best preparation for managing large groups of adults that you could ever have. <laughs> because, like that book, everything I, I need to know I learned in kindergarten—that is true <laughs> for managing adults. But um, Basically, you know, I just continued to teach people through through my book, through my next book, through my podcast, and and there we were. And so a funny thing happens when you're on the intermittent fasting path. You start realizing 
your tastes in food are changing as well. And, you know, that happened to me as, as I went through intermittent fasting. I started off eating the standard American diet. And then over time, you know, I would try my favorite something or other. Let's just say Pop-Tart. I'll just use that as an example. Used to, before I would start a really strict diet, I would get a box of a certain kind of Pop-Tart and I would just eat them. And be like, all right, can't eat those anymore. I'm going on this diet. Well, if you tried to make me eat one of those Pop-Tarts now, I would refuse. Not because, you know, I think I'm better than the Pop-Tart, like in some kind of a judgmental way, because they truly taste like chemicals to me now. I don't like the way they taste. I can't believe I did, but I did. So intermittent fasting has taught me to reconnect with my body's natural hunger and satiety cues. We're born with them. You know, our bodies crave nutrients. And now I hear all that from my body. So it's really just... It's been transformational in in ways that I wasn't really expecting. Uh, yeah, it, it is. And what I, I like in your book, how you share this health evolution from like childhood to, to menopause. And it's, right. it's just a, it's a real example of how a health journey is truly a journey. Um, and I want to touch on a few things about that and, and kind of what you said. So from 2014 to 2017. So you started in 2014, you lost weight, and you maintained it. But during that time, you hadn't really cleaned up your diet yet, totally, you were still basically eating, um, kind of eating what you wanted, and then started eating real food. um, Even though you had been able to lose and maintain that weight solely through intermittent fasting, which I, I think is interesting. And I, I want to point that out to people because I think everyone thinks, oh, you got to come and do all of this all perfectly at one time. But you can start with intermittent fasting and get great results. And then like you said, your body changes, your tastes change, all right. of those things. Talk a little bit more um, about that and just kind of in those years when you weren't when you hadn't evolved to a cleaner diet quite yet. Well, what's interesting is there was a brief period of time in 2015, right when I was approaching my goal weight, like I wanted to weigh 135 pounds. That was my initial goal, 135 pounds. It was 75 pounds down from my highest. It felt, well, it felt unattainable, but I thought if I could just get there, then I'll be happy. So when it was spring of 2015 and I was about 20 pounds away from that goal of 135. Nothing that I owned was fitting me. So I knew I was going to need to go shopping. And so I thought, you know, I need to lose the rest of these weight, the rest of these 20 pounds quickly because, you know, spring is around the corner. It's going to be summer and I want to wear cute spring and summer clothes and I don't want to have to keep buying new sizes. So how can I lose weight the most quickly while still doing intermittent fasting? And I didn't want to ever have to count things again. I didn't want to count calories. I didn't want to count fat grams. I didn't want to count carbs. I didn't want to stop eating things that were delicious. But I I somehow around that time, somebody was talking about this book called The Science of Skinny. And it's basically a book about avoiding processed foods and eating real foods. So I just, I read that book at right the right time. And so she just talks about eat real food, period. That's it. And she talks about why. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm not going to count fat. I'm not going to count calories. I'm not going to count carbs. I'm just going to eat real food. So there was a period of 10 weeks in the spring of 2015 where I delayed 
what we now call ultra-processed foods. She didn't call it that in her book, but now that they've that we've clarified the difference between processed and ultra-processed foods. So I, I delayed ultra-processed foods. I didn't eat them. And I only ate real foods that were delicious. And I also delayed alcohol. So for 10 weeks, I ate real foods. Like that might look like, you know, for dinner, I might open my eating window and have a giant baked potato with tons of butter and sour cream, some beans on the side, you know, like black beans with cheese. And then later to close my window, I might would have um, a bowl of blackberries with heavy cream on top. So you can see I wasn't restricting. I ate till I was satisfied. My body loved it. I started leaning into the veggies, cooked them with lots of butter. I still wasn't being very brave as far as like trying things that I, you know, quote, didn't like. I stuck to the things that I liked, but I ate until I was satisfied. I did not feel like I was dieting and that ramped up my weight loss. You know, keep in mind, I had already lost, you know, a good bit of weight by that point. I only needed to lose 20 more pounds to get to 135, but I lost at the rate of about two pounds a week just by leaning into real foods. And that was astonishing because who loses weight faster at the end than you had been losing along the way? Well, I did because I I really changed what I was eating. You know, I'd get home from work, open my window, eat delicious real foods till I was satisfied, and my body loved it. So um, after, though, after I got to 135 pounds, I was like, all right, I'm done. And so then I went back to how I was eating before, but I maintained and so that that was pretty exciting. So I didn't think about really about food. You know, I, I did make an effort to not eat the obvious like chemically things. Like I never drank a diet soda again. And first of all, I don't like them. But I was like, well, there's no benefit to me here, you know. And so I, I probably ate a lot fewer chemically laden foods at that time. But I still, you know, would go through a drive through, you know, whatever. I was just eating foods that were delicious. And then... In 2017, I was off for the summer because remember, I was still a teacher. My first book was out, Delay, Don't Deny. My Facebook groups were growing. And I like to think of those years or that, that period of time as the diet wars because everybody had an opinion about what you should be eating. I mean, people still do, but it was really polarized. And that was also the time that keto was really gaining a lot of traction. And in those days of keto, intermittent fasting was also taking off. So the keto community was embracing intermittent fasting. And there became this kind of underlying thought that if you were not doing keto with intermittent fasting, you were wasting your time. I mean, I didn't believe that because keto didn't work for my body. I tried it prior to intermittent fasting, didn't lose any weight. I felt awful. And so I, I knew that keto wasn't right for everyone, although there were a lot of people having great results with it. So I thought, you know, what's the science tell us? You know, I have a doctorate. I know how to research things. My master's degree is natural sciences. So I'm like, I'm just really going to dig in. I want to figure out what is really how we should be eating. We know a lot of things. We have a lot of scientific studies. Surely the answer is out there. So I started digging. And the moment that it all just really clarified for me was when I saw this video, I don't know how I found it, it was on YouTube, Dr. Aaron Segal. This is the summer of 2017. The video is called something like, what are the best foods for humans to eat or something? Now, that's not exactly it, but it's along those lines. Aaron Segal, E-R-A-N-S-E-G-A-L, if anyone's looking for it. You know, what are the best foods for humans? Something like that. But he talked about some research that they were doing in Israel about bio-individuality 
and how we're all different when it comes to what foods we eat. And suddenly it made a lot more sense. You know, why are people in the Facebook groups arguing about what to eat? Because they genuinely believe what they're eating is how everyone should eat because it's how they feel their best. And I started thinking about diet books differently. Every single diet book that tells you how to eat was written by a person who has great results eating that way. And so, you know, when we have great results with something, we tend to think that's generalizable to everybody. Well, if everybody just woke up at 5.30 in the morning, think about how productive you'd be. But some people don't have, you know, the, the, the same, you know, we're not all early birds. It applies to everything in our lives. We're not all the same. And so they were finding in Israel that, you know, the glycemic index that we've all heard about, you know, like it, real, real quick, what, what have you heard about the glycemic index? Like what, what's, what do we think about it? Well, what I think about it is it's not 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 as relevant as it used to be. Well, what did they tell us when they first came out with it? Well, you don't want to eat high glycemic foods. And and they also give everything a number. Like, let's just say food X scores, you know, 75 on the glycemic index. So you're like, all right, food X, that's 75. That means everybody's going to have, you know, this response to this food. And what I learned is that 75 was an average of like 10 people. So they took like 10 people, fed them corn, saw what happened and said, all right, it's 75. When really maybe nobody had a 75, but the average was 75. And I'm like, that's a ridiculous way to come up with anything when it comes to health. <laughs> because like, let's think about our height. If we took the height of all women, put it together in a pile and averaged it. Let's imagine the average height of women is 5'5". Five five. I don't know what it is, but I'm 5'5", five five, so I'm just going to use that number. If the average height of women is 5'5", five five, we just say, all right, women, you're 5'5". Five five. Well, what about all the people that are 5'9"? Or if you're 5'2", you're clearly not 5'5". Five five. So finding the average is like ridiculous. <laughs> but our glycemic index is just like that. We don't, we don't, our, our glycemic response is just like that. We don't all respond 5'5 five five to anything. So they were finding that they could use, you know, a bunch of factors to predict your personalized glycemic response, whereas some people might have a really high glycemic response to white bread, whereas some people might have like practically none. You know, that goes against what we've, what we've learned. We learned white bread is this, but it isn't. So as soon as I learned that information that we're all different, I took a deep breath and said, okay, we just have to lean in and figure out what makes us feel our best. And that's when I wrote my book, Feast Without Fear. And, you know, I made a lot of connections in that book. You know, basically, I talked about the, um, the blue zones, people around the world that live to be over 100. You know, there are five blue zones they had identified. You know, what were they eating in those blue zones? And then I looked into the, the world of gut health. You know, what leads you to have a healthy gut microbiome? And then I looked at the Mediterranean diet. We knew a lot about the Mediterranean diet and how healthy that was. And what do all of those things have in common? things that foster good gut health, things that the centenarians were eating that were living over 100, people in the Mediterranean. Well, it was all real food, real food, and it was all different. People in Greece didn't eat the same things that they ate in Japan. They were not eating exactly the same things, but it was real food with a, with a priority on eating a wide variety of plants. And so I realized, you know, we need to feed our gut microbiome as well. But when it comes down to what foods that looks like for you, it's, it's not all going to be the same. And some of it is also related to our, um, in our DNA. Although our gut 
health is a lot more important than our, our DNA when it comes to, you know, what your body does with the food. But that just really, that, that experience of writing Feast Without Fear just made me understand that it makes no sense to argue with somebody. Because if I'm, if I'm talking to someone who's low carb and it works great for them and they feel the best they've ever felt, you know, I can't dispute that. It's clearly that it's working for them. Whereas when I talk about how potatoes work really well for my body, it's true. They really do. So that led me to start introducing more foods into my diet. And a funny thing happened. The more real foods I put into my diet, the more real foods I craved. It's like my taste buds opened up to to the, the palate of real foods. And so I'm a totally different eater now in 2022 than I was in 2017 or than I was in 2014 or definitely than I was in, you know, 2000. <laughs> I was, yes. I mean, and see that I just, I really, I'm so glad you pointed all that out. I mean, it's, it is an evolution and I think um, it is. It is a journey and an evolution to figure out what works for you and for your body and to kind of tune out um, a lot of the noise. I always just say right. eat real food the way God made it. The creator of your body made the perfect food for your body. And the more you stick to that um, and kind of figure out what works for that with, with you know, within that, um, you're going to be good to go. Well, it's true. And, you know, sometimes people will demonize entire groups of food. Like, for example, there's one book that talks about how plants are also bad for you or something. And like plants want to kill you. And they're like, plants don't want to be eaten. So they have all these poisons in there. So you won't eat them. I'm like, that's nonsense. Do animals want to be eaten? No, no, <laughs> that that doesn't even make sense. But, you know, we, we were given these foods to eat, you know, bread yeah. is not going to kill you. I mean, now maybe something's wrong with your gut. You can't handle gluten, but you know, they were eating bread, Thousands in, of years ago. In the Bible. the Bible. <laughs> exactly. I can't believe that God made bread and then said, and but just don't eat it. Right. <laughs> exactly. I think that's, I mean, that's where I, that's just become my compass because that's kind of how I got started. I was like, now there is so much diet noise. What do I believe? I will say that the bread that, you know, our GMO wheat bread is not the same as the bread God made, but that's man getting in there and monkeying with something that was perfect and trying to make it better. And instead, oops, it's not better. So oh, there's a lot of example of that. We're uh -huh. going to get into even more yeah. here about that here in a second. Um, well, you also say in the book, so I, I, I like this, but then you, you hit menopause. Right. Um, and we, I have a lot of ladies kind of, you know, in these perimenopausal and then moving into menopause years. And you kind of had to make some tweaks again. This is, again, important for the ladies to understand. You can kind of get to where you, you got it going on and then your hormones change and you have to regroup. So tell us what kind of tweaks you had to make um, after menopause. Well, I'm going to tell you. We don't talk about menopause enough, and we I actually recorded an episode of the Life Lessons podcast yesterday um, with, um, I, I co-host that with Sherry Bullock. She's a good friend of mine, and we had a doctor on there, Dr. Deb Matthew, and she's a hormone expert, and um, she practices medicine in Charlotte, North Carolina, but it was all about hormone replacement therapy, and I don't know if you or probably a lot of your listeners have heard you know, oh, hormone replacement therapy is dangerous. It's going to increase your um, your risk for breast cancer. But in that episode of Life Lessons, Dr. Deb really unpacked why that is not true and how um, we were misled based on faulty interpretation of a study that was done about 20 years ago. So it was had some faulty design in the study and also some faulty interpretation. Um, 
And so our hormones are basically really, really important. As we go through menopause, our hormone levels go nuts. And that's just the way the way it, it happens. And we get to the point where on the other side of menopause, our body's no longer producing estrogen. We're no longer producing progesterone. And that changes a lot of things, not just our girly parts. Because, you know, I didn't know any of that. I just thought, oop, after menopause, the girly parts are going to sleep. <laughs> eh, but then we're fine. Everything else is fine. We just stay healthy. No. <laughs> they all work together. Um, we need estrogen and progesterone to have strong bones and to have, you know, preserve our muscle mass and to not have the sagging skin and to keep our blood sugar control at, at good levels. They all work together. All of our hormones work together, not just doing the girly stuff. So I actually started hormone replacement um, a couple months ago, and it's already made an amazing difference for me. But you know, prior to that, I was realizing, you know, I wasn't sleeping. You know, anyone who's perimenopausal, gone through menopause, sleep is one of those things that, that we um, we start to struggle with. That is like a progesterone. Now that I've got my progesterone dialed in, I'm sleeping great, which is like amazing. Um, but we also have to make tweaks in, in what foods we're eating, perhaps, because as I already said, we have... Um, we, we're not as great at measuring or at, at managing our blood glucose. Our body can't manage it as well as it could before. So we'll see what happens to me as time goes on now that I've started the hormone replacement. But, for example, I realized sugar was impacting me more. Um, I would get restless legs, and I've always gotten restless legs from sugar, but the effect became more pronounced after I went through menopause. And so, you know, I do still have dessert, but not as much. And, you know, I... I just really have to kind of keep my eye on things. I also have realized, you know, that period of time where I delayed wine back in 2015, my body really feels better when I have less wine. So I'm really the kind of person that doesn't sit around and drink wine with dinner every night anymore. Um, you know, I was just at an event in um, Arizona with, with a bunch of people that are awesome. And I did have some dry farm wine, <laughs> which is a very clean wine while I was there. But, you know, then I came back home, I'm like, all right, I'm not drinking wine, I'm back home. And so I just want to feel my best. Every choice that I make, whether it's eating less sugar or drinking less wine, is because I want to feel good. I want to go to bed and sleep well and wake up refreshed. And my body has taught me what that looks like. And so every decision I make is based on how do I want to feel later. That's a great way to do it. I I love it. I And I've heard a lot of a lot of women say that um, through that, this kind of perimenopausal, menopausal years, yeah, the, the wine, the sugar, just got to have to dial that back a little bit um, and, and make those tweaks. And yes, I'm with you on the, um, you know, a really good quality hormone replacement can be a game changer. And, oh yeah, you know, I'm always thinking in the context, okay, what did our, you know, our Bible sisters do? Well, they didn't have hormone replacement, but you know what? They didn't have all this junk. We have, um, it, you know, chemicals and um, that we have in toxins that we come across today. And so we got, we need a little extra help in, oh, yeah. <laughs> in modern times. This would be a good time to kind of transition into that because um, you say in the book, you know, as you um, you are making this journey, you know, and, and taking a closer look at the chemicals in your food. You're also looking at them in your personal care products and your cleaning products and you're diving in and researching um, all of that. And so let's talk about how these 
these toxins um, interfere with our hormones and increase our fat cells. I think that really gets people's attention. Um, let's just kind of dive into that and and what your what your experience was when you started looking into that and what you found. Well, you know, I just want to pop something out there that that people most people can can think about this and go, yes, this is true. I want people to think about fertility and infertility, and you know, I'm I'm 53. And, you know, thinking back to when, when I was getting pregnant in the late 90s and, you know, people who are older, you know, think back to the 80s, to the 70s, people did not struggle with infertility to the same degree that we do now. And I don't believe it's just because we're waiting until later to start a family. I believe it's because of these chemicals, these endocrine disruptors in our bodies. Sperm counts are down. I mean, this is not just me, you know, making this up. They are down. Why? Why are our men um, having lower sperm counts now? Why are women struggling to get pregnant? And we all know people who have struggled so much to get pregnant, whereas in the past, we didn't struggle so much. Now, were there people who struggled with infertility? Yes. I mean, obviously, there always have been. But I think we would agree it's ramped up lately. Um, so what is happening? Well, you mentioned endocrine disruptors. You know, I talked about hormones before, and we have so many different hormones in our bodies. Um, but our endocrine system is like our hormonal system and how they all work together. And the hormones in our bodies are designed to, like I want you to think about hand and glove, for example. Like a hand fits into a glove perfectly. It's, it's, the glove is designed for the hand to go into it. Um, well, our hormone receptors are designed for our hormones to fit into them and do their work. Well, a lot of the chemicals, things in plastics, for example, and, and other things like that, a lot of the toxic chemicals that are just all around us mimic hormones in the bodies, in, the, in our bodies. So like we might get this chemical in our body and it fits just like the hand in the glove into the receptor where the hormone is supposed to fit. So it's blocking our hormones from being able to do their jobs. And, and you can imagine if all of your hormone receptors are blocked by these funky endocrine disruptor chemicals, then, then your body is not getting the signals because literally our hormones tell our bodies what to do. So if our bodies can't get the message of what they're supposed to do, they don't do those things. So reducing the number of chemicals in our lives the best that we can can make a huge difference. Now, there's still going to be things around us just because of this modern world that we're in, but we can make a difference based on what we put into our bodies, what we put on our bodies, and what we have in our environment on purpose. Like everybody who's listening, if you've got something in your house to make it smell better, and it's it's not just you know a natural essential oil, but it's something you plug in, or it's made by a big chemical company, you need to get rid of those things right now. They are not helping you and your family. That's just a really simple thing you can do differently. Instead, get essential oils, real ones. Use those. Um, and and boom, you've just made a positive difference. Yeah. You point out in the book, um, you say, of the more than 80,000 chemicals currently being used in the United States, most haven't have not been adequately tested for their effects on human health. 
Well, it's and true. It's and, scary. And can I say this? Even the ones that have been tested are tested in like ways that don't actually mimic what happens in our bodies. Like they might test a tiny little bit of it in isolation, in a Petri dish or whatever. And, but really that's not how we live our lives. We are really in this toxic soup of everything. And so when we're all in this toxic soup, things interact and we're exposed to them in amounts that they didn't test. And, and that is where it really starts to go wrong. Yeah, and there's we have to consider that idea of bioaccumulation, you know, that, right. that buildup. Because I think a lot of us get through, well, you know, it's just my lotion. It's just, you know, it's just my lipstick. Or it's just a little yummy smelling candle. Or, right. you know, I can't live without my pine saw or, you know, to clean my house. It's got to smell clean, you know. Right. And it's those... Um, it's, but all of that accumulates and, um, like you, you said in the book and I've shared here before, I mean, toxins clog up our liver and then, um, and get stashed in our fat cells. So as you know, I, I tell people, you know, that your fat toxins get stored in your fat and, and that's the body's way of protecting you and keeping those toxins away from vital organs. And so we need to say thank you, body. But we need to also reduce that burden on the body. And you also point out, you know, our brain is, you know, like 60% fat. So that's another place those toxins get stored. It's just, it's, it's really true. Scary. And, you know, we look around and we see the results of this every day. You know, we're a very toxic and sick society right now. And everywhere you go, you see that. And it might even be when you're looking in the mirror, you see it in your face and and you see it on your own body. But, you know, our bodies were powerfully made. You know, we have all these amazing organs like our liver and our kidneys and our skin, all these organs of our body that are designed to detoxify us. You know, like when, when our body is metabolizing food, toxins build up as a part of the process and our liver knows what to do and our kidneys know what to do. But the problem is we're so overwhelmed with it and we have so many that our liver can't keep up and our kidneys can't keep up. And then the next thing you know, your kidney is shutting down because it can't um, manage the flow of what's coming in. And so it can't, it can't do the work it's designed to do because you have all these extra toxins coming in. So you know, it's not to be alarmist or, you know, I even, I talked about this with Sherry yesterday when we were recording the Life Lessons podcast. She said a lot of people that she's talked to about, um, you know, the clean beauty or, you know, the cleaning products, they're like, oh, this is just propaganda. It's not true. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I can't believe anyone would, would think that because it's really not. The propaganda is when they say, oh, it's not bad for you. (laughs) That's the propaganda. Because in reality, it is. And so I don't want people to be scared about it or like, like, you know, throwing up their hands in fear, instead realize that knowledge is power and that the more you learn, I mean, it's okay to get a little mad that we're in at this point and that we have just really, you know, made a mess of things with, with our you know, modern chemicals and what we've done over time, but that we can do small things. Like I changed how I clean my house. All the products that I have in my house, I changed them. It was easy. They're non-toxic. I don't worry about those things anymore. I'm not adding to my toxic load through what I'm spraying in my own house. Now, I'm still going to go to an airport and they're like pumping out all sorts of garbage around me, but I can't control that, but I control what I can. Um, I can control 
the lotion that I put on my body. Our skin is our largest organ. And if you don't believe that things go into our body through our skin, well, I'm getting my hormone replacement through a patch. It goes through my skin. You know, we've all seen people who are trying to quit smoking and they use nicotine patches. We know things go into our bloodstream from our skin. So if you're rubbing, you know, some toxic lotion onto your skin, it is going all throughout your body. Would you eat it? If you would not eat it, maybe you don't want to rub it all over your body. Right. And it's, again, it's the those little things that we do every day. You know, we drink cup of coffee and if you know if it's not organic it might be full of pesticides and then we may right. have some and yogurt. it is it probably yeah. is yeah. yeah and have some yogurt with you know uh, strawberry yogurt with red food dye and then you you know it's just like the whole and then you you go in your bathroom and you you get ready for work and you're you're putting all you're just slathering things on your body you know that are potentially um, adding to your toxic load and it's um, and that's and that's really the problem we don't have to be perfect about it we can be ish right we can be a yes, little yes we, we can be a little ish about it and that well and that because helps. you're in charge at all times and it is impossible to be perfect with it because you'll make yourself crazy and then you'll like I don't know never want to leave your house again but then what if your house I mean you know <laughs> your house has carpet in there and what about that you know you can't you can't you can't be in a toxic free environment that ship has sailed but you can make the changes that make a difference and the analogy i would like to use is the bucket effect and i first learned about the bucket effect when um our son will he's 23 now when he was a toddler you know i didn't know anything about how chemicals affected you really um you know, i put yoohoo in their sippy cup you know forgive me i didn't know it looked like it had a lot of vitamins on the label it looked like a better choice than chocolate milk <laughs> you know and it's got all the vitamins added awesome. I didn't know what I was doing. But we learned from a teacher, you know, Will was having all sorts of trouble. He was getting kicked out of daycares left and right. He was at a private Christian school that happened to have a three-year-old room. And he joined that three-year-old room right after he'd gotten kicked out of daycare. And he, I was like, there, they can't throw him out. It's a private Christian school. Well, they did, eventually did ask him to leave, but not before, because his behavior was out of control, not before his teacher said, could it be what he's eating? I mean, I had never heard anything about that. What? No, it's not what he's eating. That's ridiculous. Then I started to research. I went home and started to read about it. Turns out these chemicals don't just, you know, hang around in the body. They affect your brain. They affect your behavior. Like red dye, for example. You might have heard of that before, but I had not at this point. This was the early 2000s. And I realized that these, these chemicals affected our brains. And it really makes sense when you think about, you know, alcohol. Every person here knows that if you drink too much alcohol, you'll start acting crazy. We do not dispute that chemicals affect the way you act. But to think that red dye might do that or, you know, someone spraying air freshener around you might make you start to act wacky depending on what's happening in your own brain. We learned that what we put onto his skin, what we used in our home, what, we, what he came across in a store, like we could not walk down the laundry aisle, for example, with that child. He would start to go nuts. We realized he was very chemically sensitive. Basically, his bucket was full. So I want you to think of your toxic load as like a bucket of water. And imagine you've got a leaky roof and the water's dripping in. You know, drip, drip, drip into your bucket. Every drop that goes in raises the level of your bucket a little bit. Eventually, if enough goes in, it's going to start to overflow. And that was what we saw. When his bucket would overflow, he would start to act crazy. That's how it would come out in him. But it might be eczema for someone else, or maybe it's seasonal allergies, or maybe it's, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. 
a lot of the things we're dealing with are because our bucket is overflowing and we 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 feel it in some sort of physical or emotional way so as long as we kept his bucket from overflowing we we were able to really control his behavior he was like his happy happy normal self we put less in um, through what he ate, through what was in the home, through what was in the environment. We lowered the level of what we put in. So when a little bit got in, if we were, you know, all out in public, a little bit wouldn't make it overflow, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's a really good visual, a very good way to put it. Um, yes, I've heard you tell that story. And I, and, and just in that, yeah, you, you don't know until you know, you know, putting the Yahoo right. in their sippy cup. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of moms are, you know, just berate themselves for o- over the years as, as they know m- more things. But you you just you just know better and you do better. That's all we well, can do. Well, Maya Angelou, that's what she said. When you know better, you do better. We're always doing the best we can. So I, I look back at that Jen, the me of back in those days and think, oh, look what you didn't know. But I had been taught all throughout school You know, I graduated from high school in 1986. For us, nutrition education was you need to eat fruits and vegetables so you get vitamins and minerals. The goal is getting vitamins and minerals. And I'm like, oh, I'll just take a Flintstone vitamin. That has vitamins and minerals. Bam, solved that. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, what we they didn't tell us, because really, I don't even know. Our teachers probably didn't know, but I'm not even sure that we really even realized there are thousands of phytochemicals in that tomato. Not just, you know, vitamin C and lycopene. It's got thousands of things in there. And we don't even know what they all are or what they all do, but all of them are important. So it is absolutely impossible to take a pill and have the benefits of foods because foods are a miracle. I mean, we knew, you know, a long time ago, if you go back ancient wisdom, you know, our food is our medicine. And it was designed that way. And no human discovery of something we can put together in a lab is ever going to be a substitute for what's really in those real foods. Amen to that, sister. You can't make it like God made it. You can't. And, you know, we don't know. There's a whole food matrix. Like, you can't – you can try to isolate, like, a vitamin C or or something. But it works in concerts, kind of like the hormones you were talking about. It works in concert and ratio um, in in all these different ways in the body that a – you know, something synthesized in a lab will never match. And they even have research on that where they're like, we think that the powerful thing in this tomato is X. That's the chemical that has all the good benefits. So then they'll start giving people supplements of X, whatever it is, and they actually are less healthy. (laughs) So they're like, oh, guess it wasn't X, right? Or they were having it in levels that were not normal, you know, because there's a certain amount in a tomato and we're not supposed to eat, you know, 40 times that amount because everything and you can can become toxic if, if overdone, even like water. You can have water toxication if you drink too much water. So everything in moderation in the amounts that are naturally occurring. And, and we can't, you know, we can't know exactly what are the magical parts of this. It's all of it working together. Exactly. Exactly. I want to circle back a little bit to okay. we talked about the in, some endocrine disruptors. We talked about um, hormone mimickers like like xenoestrogen, um, how they bind to the receptor sites. Can you talk a little bit about obesogens? Well, basically, it's just a, a class of anything that 
causes your body to store more fat would be considered an obesogen. And, you know, scientists are, are just really beginning to understand this. I mean, we see it around us, as I mentioned. When you look around, you see the effect of these obesogens on people around us. You know, I, I'm going to tell the story of my uncle, um, my uncle Buddy. He is 20 years older than me. That's how I can always remember how old he is. So I'm 53. He's 73. He has fragile X. Fragile X is a chromosomal um, disorder that is genetic, and so um, his you know his IQ is lower. He can't live on his own. If you think about um, you know Down syndrome, for example, Fragile X is not the same as Down syndrome, but it kind of gives you an idea of that sort of you know it's got certain physical characteristics, certain physical, med, uh, mental associations with it. But he's got Fragile X, and so one of the things he you know is not. He's not great at controlling the amount of food that he eats. And I can remember being a little girl in the 70s and going out with my grandmother and my Uncle Buddy, and he was the biggest adult in the room everywhere we went. I mean, he just was. Uncle Buddy was the biggest adult everywhere. And now fast forward to 2022. I still see Uncle Buddy. We still go out in public together. He is no longer the biggest adult in the room. He looks normal compared to everybody else. I mean, in the 70s, he stood out like a sore thumb. Now, I mean, he, he's not even nearly the biggest person in the room. And so what we're seeing is the rise in how these obesogens are affecting our bodies. You know, if you think about the way we eat now compared to the 70s, it really, really is different. So these obesogens, um, you know, scientists are still figuring it out, but they believe they affect, you know, the way our fat cells function, they make us accumulate more fat. They affect our metabolic set points, meaning that your body actually is going to reach a higher level of, you know, higher level of weight. Um, it affects our appetite, our satiety signals. It makes us hungrier, these chemicals do. All of these chemicals work together to just totally disrupt our bodies. And so what's happening is not normal. It's not natural. And it doesn't look normal or natural when you look around. And again, it might be you looking in the mirror. When I looked at myself from 2010, I had that exact fat accumulation. I was 210 pounds. I was obese. I'm sure I was taking in a great deal of obesogens through the food, through the chemicals, through what I was putting on my body. I had those plug-ins. I had them in my classroom. You know, like, oh, our classroom's going to smell good because I have a plug-in in there. You know, I just think about how many children did I, you know, affect negatively with these plugins in my classroom, and it was really affecting their brain's ability to concentrate, and I didn't know. Yeah, what we again, it's you just don't know, but we are surrounded by them, and it's not it's not just the food. Food is one piece of it, but we have to look at the toxins in our environment, and you know, right. in in what we're using in our homes, on our bodies, because these endocrine disruptors. I think a lot of people hear endocrine disruptor, and they just I don't know kind of blow it off a little or yeah. maybe don't understand what it is or don't believe it or, or whatever it is. But we have these these hormone mimicking agents. We have these obesogens, these chemicals that lead to more fat storage and the, and promoting the formation of new fat cells. And it's, it's real. <laughs> so it is we, real. It, it is real. And, you know, again, this does seem overwhelming. When my book came out, Cleanish, um, January of 2022, I had a, I have a private community of 
um, intermittent fasters. But I was like, you know, let's do a book study with Cleanish. I, I'm a teacher. Let's do a book study. Let's go through it. I'll help you implement what you're learning. So the first week, we're all like, yeah, everybody's excited. They're reading it. They're like, I can't wait. Then they start getting into the science of it. Then they're like, wait, this is overwhelming. Wait, I just I can't do this. This is too hard. This is too much. And I'm like, no, no, stop. Don't let it overwhelm you. Take it slowly. Take it piece by piece, day by day. And, you know, you might feel the whole, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of kind of mindset. Well, this is too, these words are hard. These words that Chelsea and Jen are using are too complicated. I can't understand that. I, can't, I just don't even want to go there. But I promise you it's not too hard and it's not too overwhelming. And if you just piece by piece realize that knowledge is power and just swapping out your, your kitchen counter cleaner for a better choice, bam, easy, you've done it. It wasn't hard and you, you're making your whole family healthier without even having to do anything hard. Yeah, I think people think, can that really make a difference? Yes, you know, it like can. one yep. thing, and yes, it can. It's one thing. It's one less drip in your liver, in your yep. liver bucket. <laughs> Every drop in the world came together to make the ocean. That's right. Every it was the ocean was filled by drop by drop. So yes, little drops matter. They do. They do, and I, I think people, like you said, can just feel so overwhelmed because because it feels like so much, but that's, you know, why your book is really helpful. You know, you're like, here's the information. And then here are some strategies to transition without making yourself crazy. So right. what are be a few other maybe just simple things people could do? So change out, you know, one cleaner, one cleaner. And also, I think probably the biggest problem is people are like, yeah, but how do I know which one to pick? Yeah. And so I want to talk about the idea of greenwashing. Everyone listening has been fooled by greenwashing, including me, and you probably don't even know it. Greenwashing is when they put those labels on food products, cleaning products, household products that make you think it's clean and green. And you're like, that's a healthy choice because of the wording that they use. Like our 23-year-old our son, just his dad said, don't drink soda so much. You need to drink juice instead. So he goes to the grocery store and comes home with this carton of this brand name fruit punch that is really probably worse than having a Coke. It just doesn't have any fizz in it, but all the chemicals in it. And I'm like, no, no, look at these ingredients. You know, people just don't know. But he was fooled by greenwashing. It looked like a healthy, wholesome choice. And when you looked at the ingredients label, it had, um, you know, it said on the label, with natural flavors. Well, it had some natural flavors, but it also had artificial sweeteners, artificial flavors, corn syrup, all that stuff was in there. But because they said, with natural flavors, you're like, this is wholesome. This is good. So he was greenwashed. He was fooled. Um, but you can actually, even if you're not a great label reader, there are apps that will help you. Um, the Environmental Working Group has a free app that you can get. Um, and it has a whole database of products that you can search. Like when I was writing Cleanish, I'm like, all right, it's time for me to really dig in. Let's see. Have I been fooled? So I start checking my products. Well, I found the um, what I was using as a dish soap and a hand soap right beside my kitchen counter was a brand that we all have heard of and we all think is a clean choice. It rated worse. This particular, you know, scent fragrance of it that I had rated worse than that blue stuff that we've all seen on the commercials when that they use with the oil spills, cleaning off the birds to get the oil off of them. And if I put those two products in front of you and said, which one of these is a better choice? A hundred percent of you would have chosen the one that I had, not the blue one. 
but actually the blue one was it would have been a better choice. And so I, at first I was mad, and then <laughs> and then I, I I didn't switch to the blue one. I found a better one, um, and I found one that scored really high, and it didn't cost more, but it was it was just easy. But I was mad that I had been so so fooled by the greenwashing. And, and as you go around and start checking your products, you'll probably feel the same way. But it's not hard to pick one that's clean and one that's it's a better choice. Because once you've made that switch, you've made it. You just keep buying that one instead. Um, there's an app that I really like. It's not free. And it wasn't out yet, or I didn't know about it when I was writing Cleanish, but it's called Switch Naturals, I think, or Switch Natural. I don't know if it has an S on the end or not. Either Switch Natural or Switch Naturals. You have to pay for it. But... It is even better than using the Environmental Working Group app because it scans ingredients lists. So you just open up your little app and you take a photo within the app. It reads the ingredients list for you and then tells you if there's any chemicals of concern in there. So, you know, you don't have to hope that the product's going to be in the database. You just are looking at the ingredients. And that's nice. And so, yeah, it's a great product. I don't even know if she knows that I'm alive, but I love her. I love her app. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I think it's worth paying for. I think it's just a one-time payment. I could be wrong. But I have it and I use it um, when I'm, I'm not sure about something. You know, it can scan all sorts of different things. But, you know, just knowing what's, what's in there um, can make a difference. And, you know, I didn't even realize how many things are hidden with innocent-sounding words. Like, for example, natural flavors could literally be who knows what. Or fragrance. Fragrance could be anything, because they don't have to disclose what's in it. So whenever you see a product and it just says fragrance, you don't want that. Because it could literally be anything in the world. And they're not required to tell you. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I I know that you like beauty counters and beauty counter products. And I do too. And Love I, them. It's just, you know, I just tell people like, I, I really, I have, I read so many food labels. Like, I, I just can't, like, I, I just know that they like read them for me. You know, like they have done oh, the yeah. work and it's done. Yeah. And that's one thing I don't have to worry about. It's just. It's true. It's, it's They're never list. They've got it. I don't even need to know what it is. I don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do care, but I don't need to memorize it. Right. Exactly. You know, I can't tell you what products to avoid, but they have already done that work for you. I know. And I know if they sell it, it's, it's going to be safe. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a time saver when you do. Have you tried their new, their new like eyeshadow that just came out for the holidays? No, I haven't. See, I, I, I love their old eyeshadow palette that they had in the little thing you opened it up and it was the powdery stuff. And then they discontinued it because there was something in there that they were like, we really have need to have less of this. So we're not going to sell this anymore. So they've had this other kind of eyeshadow. Well, for the holidays, they have this palette that's like the kind you use the brush on and again and it's like the powdery stuff and I'm so excited so ex- I know I love their holiday sets they're so fun <laughs> yeah I hope this sticks around past the holidays if not I'm gonna have to order like all of it <laughs> before <laughs> oh my gosh well it has been so awesome to have you here and and share all this um before we go I have to ask you the the anchor questions which I ask all okay. of my guests and the first one is what is an anchor meal for you, which is just kind of your a go-to healthy meal that you have pretty often? You know, I am somebody who is not good at meal planning or figuring out what we're going to eat if, if left to my own devices. So I, I use literally Green Chef. Have you ever used Green Chef? I haven't, but I, I know people oh that gosh. do and they, they love it. I love it. So I we eat a, a big variety of different things. But if Green Chef sends it to me, I know it's going to be okay. And I also eat a lot of daily harvest, harvest bowls. 
And that's when, like, when I open my window, I will often just go to a Daily Harvest Bowl. And um, they actually do sponsor my podcast, but I was, was using them well before they sponsored my podcast. It was one of those examples of, hey, see if I can get them to sponsor my podcast because I love them. Since I'm talking about do. them all the time. <laughs> right, right. It's true. Yeah, but, you know, I just, we don't have the same thing over and over, but anything that Green Chef has or Daily Harvest has is something that I can go to and I don't have to shop. They send it to me. It's organic. I don't have to worry about it. And um, it takes all that thinking out of it. I don't even have to go to the grocery store. Like today, my husband, Chad, went to the store. He bought, we needed some organic sour cream, some organic cream, because I always add that to everything. But I I don't have to go get anything because it just comes to me. So handy. Since you've mentioned it a couple of times, what what is your your eating window and your fasting window look like? I'm a late afternoon, early evening eating window kind of person. Like I might open my window at any point usually after three. Um, And people are listening, probably going, what? You don't eat till three? Yes, I really don't. But I feel better that way. Um, And then I nourish my body well during my eating window. And I have a little something to open my window. Later, I have a a dinner with, um, with my husband. Maybe our son comes over and eats with us. Then I might have a little something to close my window. And then I'm done for the day. And you, you are a queen faster. Oh yeah, I know you're this. Fast and clean, or you're not fasting, people. I'm serious. Uh. That's all explained. And fast, feast, repeat. We actually made up the term clean fast in my Facebook group um, back in, I think it was 2017, is when we started using that language because we were not using it yet. When I wrote delay, don't deny, I had the information in there, but I didn't use the words clean fast until 2017. But that's when we started really explaining it. Well, you want to fast clean. And then it just stuck. And so now the words are out there, but nothing makes me madder. They're more upset. I love that I invented the phrase clean fast. But then when people are like, well, if you want a dirty fast, here's how you do it. I'm like, no, that is not a thing. (laughs) Clean fasting is a thing. Dirty fasting is not. It is not fasting. (laughs) Well, I I have to admit, I might be a little ish on my my clean fasting. (laughs) I am going to give you the clean fast challenge then. I would like for you to try it. 100% 100% fasting clean for one month. Okay. Just You can do anything for a month. Whatever it is. What is, what is the thing that you think is not clean? Um, I put a little splash of coconut milk in my coffee. Oh, my gosh. You're going to change your life. You are <laughs> going to leave that coconut milk out. Just give it two weeks. Okay. Give it two weeks. You are going to feel like a new person you'll feel like a new person in two weeks now you might feel a little icky at first because your body's going to have to adapt to the clean fast okay you're you just changed your life and you didn't even know it that coconut milk is not helping you all right i promise okay everybody are you listening to jen (laughs) i'm i'm giving her the clean fast challenge you don't have to take my word for it your body is going to tell you I know, but what is a little splash of coconut milk? Uh, My, what's it? Okie doke. You got <laughs> you gotta go back and read the clean fast chapter of Fast Feast Repeat. It does all sorts of things. It causes your body to release insulin. We don't want to release insulin during the fast because we're trying to um, do all sorts of things during the fast that the clean fast encourages to happen. So just trust me. Okay. Um, yeah, I promise you, it, it makes more of a difference than you think. Okay. I, I will give it a whirl. It's been on my brain. Uh-huh. I'm like, I should do that as a, as a challenge, especially when I'm yes. focusing on my more, trying to clean up a, a little bit more in a, in a spiritual sense. So I will I will work on that. and I'll work. Give it the clean, fast challenge. Seriously, two weeks to a month, you will never go back. You're going to be a little mad at me the I know, first few days. I don't like black coffee. 
uh, look, look, you're talking to me. I, I pitched a little fit. It was after I read the obesity code, and I understand what was going on in our bodies. I gave up stevia, and stevia has zero calories. I mean, coconut milk does not have zero calories, but stevia has zero calories. How could just something that tastes sweet be interfering with, with what I want to happen during the fast? So I pitched a fit, but I gave it up. It took me about a week or two to adjust to the taste of the black coffee, but I adjusted. Our taste buds change. They, they literally turn over, and you have different taste buds in two weeks than you have today, and they will adapt to that black coffee. And the thing is, is that it was no more white knuckling. You know, I thought I was fasting great before that, I was, but I, I wasn't until I, I felt the difference. Then I'm like, oh. All right, everybody. You heard it from Jen. You should give it a whirl. Give it your <laughs> dirty fasting. Give it. I'm give serious. it a clean fast. You're you're not doing what you're not doing what your body really needs you to do. It really changes everything. Okay. All right. We're going to take you up on that. All right. Um, how about an anchor verse, which is just a favorite Bible verse or one that is presently speaking to you? Well, my favorite Bible verse of all times is First Corinthians thirteen thirteen, and it is. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You know, that, that's Jesus right there. He's love. It's love. And that's really the answer to everything. Yes. Love. Love your body. Love your neighbor. You know, love, love your life. Love yourself. The greatest feeling, the greatest emotion, the greatest way to live your life is with love. Mm. Yes, it is. Love that. That, that's a good one. It has been so fun to have you on. Tell everybody um, where they can find you, your books, your podcasts, your groups. How do they connect with you? Well, everything you can connect to through jenstevens.com. Jen is G-I-N. Stevens is with the P-H. Jenstevens.com. I have links to all of my books. You know, if you're interested in intermittent fasting, you don't know where to get started. Start with Fast, Feast, Repeat. Um and, and that'll give you all the information you need to know. If you want to clean up your life, maybe you're like, oh, I'm not interested in doing intermittent fasting, but I want to know more about how my family can be healthier. You need cleanish. Do not let it overwhelm you. At the end of every chapter, there are action steps you can follow. You're going to really dig in. You're going to decide. You're empowered to make the choices you're ready to make when you're ready to make them. I still use regular deodorant when it's super hot. And that is okay because my bucket is low in other ways. So you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do ever. And so Cleanish will really help you with that. Um, if you want to know more about intermittent fasting from people who have lived the lifestyle, and I know everyone listening likes podcasts because they're listening to yours, Chelsea, um, Intermittent Fasting Stories is is the podcast I would send you to. And um, each week I, I have two new stories where I talk to intermittent fasters and Every single story has something in there that you will click with and relate to. Very cool. And then what is the other podcast you were talking about? Life Lessons. Um, I, I host that with my co-host, Sherry Bullock, and we just really talk about everything. Again, this week we, we just interviewed someone talking about um, hormone replacement therapy. The week before that we had, it was our 100th episode, and so we shared life lessons from our community, our life lessons community. People sent in their, their own life lessons, and you know, sometimes we talk about house cleaning hacks or the holidays. I mean, it literally could be anything. So people who 
like to listen to podcasts, but maybe a lot of the podcasts out there are not quite in line with your values. Let me just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the podcast space is not always in alignment with your values, but this one, you'll enjoy life lessons. We're not not political. Um, We don't have an agenda. We are just two ladies that love to help people, and we want to uplift your life in a way that isn't going to be... Controversial, maybe that's a good way of putting it. Good, yeah. That's well. That sounds good because, gosh, there's a lot of junk out there that we. Well, there is, and and you know, I don't want to hear anybody's agenda. I want to live my life in the way I want to live it. Yes, and that it just makes me think of how we have to be. You know, we always talk about what we're putting in our in our mouths, on our bodies, but also what's going in our minds. You know, and that's just, true. It's all the inputs um, that go in there and work in, work together to make up who we are and how we show up in the world. So the more we, the cleaner we keep all of it, the more cleanish well, we true. keep all of it, the it's better. True. Good, we have good, clean fun on the Life Lessons podcast. That sounds good. Well, thank you, Jen, for being here. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.